0: And now here's your host, Sean Rost.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or whatever hour you're tuning in to listen to the Our Missouri podcast. My name is Sean Rost, and we guys we explore the memories, moments, and misfortunes from our Missouri. As we continue our African American heritage in the Ozarks series, we turn towards Springfield, Missouri, the Queen City of the Ozarks, and look at a previous episode from 2020 on the life and legacy of Voda Curtis. Vodacurtis fought not only for the right to vote during her life, but also for the rights of all Americans. And this episode features not only a narration by Keeley Dahl and reflections from Sidney Smith and Cassie Drought, who researched Vodacurtis' life during their respective internships in order to develop a better understanding of the close ties between Vodacurtis, civil rights, and suffrage, but also includes Vodacurtis' words herself— as she reflects on various moments in her life from excerpts from a 1977 oral history interview housed at the State Historical Society of Missouri's St. Louis Research Center. So I'll let Keeley Dahl tell us more about the life and legacy of Voda Curtis.
0: Voda Curtis' family has a rich history, from her grandparents buying their freedom from slavery and moving across the South to Missouri, to her own challenges as a member of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People and the League of Women Voters to ensure every American not only voting rights, but also civil rights. And yet, little is known about the life of Voda Curtis outside of scant records held in various archives and an oral history recording she did with Drury College's Ruth Bamberger in the 1970s. Though her life spanned nearly the entirety of the 20th century, Voda's story really begins in pre-Civil War South. Her maternal grandparents, William and Narcissa Gatewood, were enslaved. William had been sold into slavery in Kentucky to William McElroy, a local banker to settle a debt. Despite being enslaved, William had previously been taught to read and write, giving him an advantage on the plantation and helping him move to a position of authority amongst the other enslaved people. He was described as energetic and a hard worker, often spending his nights fishing or making shoes that he could sell to earn his own money with William McElroy's permission. Eventually, after saving over $500, he was able to buy his and his wife's freedom. Narcissa was sold into slavery at age five and traveled with her owner from Alabama to Arkansas. According to family history, Narcissa traveled to Arkansas by holding on to the suspenders of her owner as he rode on horseback. She was also considered so beautiful that Miss McElroy refused to allow her to work outside of the home. As Voda recounted years later.
2: And Mrs. McElroy was so impressed that she said, well, she will never do any hard work. I'm going to take her as my maid. And everywhere that Mrs. McElroy went, my grandmother went with her, to church, to uh, entertainments, to anything that Mrs. McElroy went to, she always took my grandmother. And when she married my grandfather, they married in Mrs. McElroy's parlor.
0: After a Union victory near Fayetteville, Arkansas, General John B. Sanburn informed enslaved people who reached his camp, that they could follow his troops into neighboring Missouri and be ensured safe travel along the way. Information was also relayed that there was land available in Minnesota if they continued north. According to Voda, her maternal grandparents considered the offer to settle in Minnesota, but were concerned about the colder climate and chose to stop in Missouri. Years later, Sandburn visited the Gatewoods in Missouri and told them of the development of the land that they passed on. It now housed a railroad depot. Instead, the Gatewoods moved to Springfield, Missouri, and operated a fruit orchard that employed roughly 30 workers. Later, the family settled on a 160-acre farm in neighboring Webster County. Boda recalled spending a great deal of time with her grandparents as a young girl, particularly late nights listening to stories from
2: her grandmother. My mother used to have to make me go to bed at night because my grandmother told me so she would sit down and she just talked to me hour after hour and as soon as she'd get through the one story I'd say tell me another one grandma.
0: While her maternal grandparents resided in Green and Webster counties, Boda's paternal grandparents spent time in Joplin before eventually moving to Springfield. Originally born in Alabama, Tillman Hardy, her paternal grandfather, had lived briefly in Kansas before taking a job in a lead mine near Joplin, Missouri. Her grandmother, Mary, watched over the children and became a cook for wealthy local families. Voda remembered them as very energetic as well as devout Christians.
2: Never missed church. They would cook on Saturday so they wouldn't have to cook on Sunday. And they would attend morning services, afternoon service, and evening service. And uh, they enjoyed that very much. Voda's parents, Taylor Hardy and Cora
0: Gatewood, met through a mutual friend while he worked as a barber and she taught school in Joplin. They were married in the early 1890s and Beatrice Voda Hardy was born in 1893 at the Gatewood Farm near Northview in Webster County. The Hardys lived briefly in Joplin before moving to Oklahoma. When Voda was about to enter school, she was sent back to Missouri to live with her grandparents. A few years later, the family was reunited in Springfield where Voda attended Lincoln High School. While her father operated a barber shop and her mother kept house and sold produce at the city market. Though she grew up in a segregated city, Voda spoke little about any discrimination directed at her or her family. Nevertheless, episodes of racial violence, particularly lynchings, were always fresh in her mind. In April 1906, Horace Duncan, Fred Coker, and Will Allen were lynched by a mob of roughly 3,000 people in Springfield. A day prior to the lynching, A white woman claimed she had been assaulted by two African-American men. Duncan and Coker were arrested by the police soon after, though little evidence tied them to the alleged crime, and their employer provided an alibi regarding their location when the attack occurred. While Duncan and Coker waited in jail, a mob formed outside and met with little resistance from law enforcement when it stormed the facility and dragged both men to the city square. The mob hanged both men from Gottfried Tower in the square and later burned their bodies. Still out for blood, the mob returned to the jail and lynched fellow inmate Will Allen. The National Guard arrived later that night and dispersed the crowd. Over the next few days, the woman who initially reported the attack claimed that neither Duncan nor Coker were involved. By that point, though, three men were dead, and the city's African-American community feared for its collective life. In her later recollection of the lynchings, Boda remembered that her father left work early that day after hearing rumors of a mob. While driving home, all the street lights were off.
2: And she recalled. And so my mother said, Well, it looks like the whole town is against the Negroes because they thought they turned them out so they wouldn't be I couldn't be identified.
0: The next morning, Voda's church filled with parishioners who offered testimonials and prayers over the events of the previous days. Later that night, several of Springfield's African American families rode out to the Gatewoods farm, seeking shelter for the night against a rumored attack on the city's black neighborhoods. The attack did not occur, though there was evidence that local miners prevented some potential mob members from accessing a store of dynamite. Nevertheless, the lynching and its aftermath led to a sizable exodus of African-American residents from Greene County. The Hardys opted to stay in Springfield and Voda graduated from Lincoln High School in 1910. She attended Walden University in Nashville for two years before enrolling at the prestigious Howard University. Though she initially sought a degree in education, Voda's time at Howard rekindled her fascination with political science, which originated with local political rallies she attended with her father in Greene County. Her time in Washington, D.C. had such an impact on her life
2: that Voda later advised, I think every citizen in the United States should at least spend one year in Washington.
0: The political hustle and bustle of the nation's capital also inspired Voda's views on key issues of the progressive era. As her and her classmates became more involved in their studies, They began to consider the fact that they could not participate in their own political system as voters. They also wondered why certain jobs weren't open to women, and why, when they did join the workforce, they made less money than men. Perhaps not surprisingly, when the time came, Voda and her Howard classmates eagerly joined the women's suffrage procession in 1913. Held in March, the procession featured more than 5,000 women, including Alice Paul and Helen Keller. Marching on behalf of suffrage just a day before, inauguration of Woodrow Wilson. As part of the Howard University contingent, Voda donned her cap and gown and marched down Pennsylvania
2: Avenue before the largest crowd she had ever seen. Of course the president was sitting out, he reviewed us and uh, the different uh, diplomats along the way and uh, they they would some of them would wave at us and uh, oh we just we just felt wonderful. I never felt like that in my life before. And we and some of the people would jeer at us and say, "Look, who wants to vote?" Yeah, 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 and we but we didn't blink an eye, we just kept our heads going. no one said a word, and we marched on down there in the perfect rhythm.
0: The battle for suffrage did not end in nineteen thirteen, and voter returned to Springfield after her graduation from Howard. She prayed for change, but she also realized she had to be an active participant in that change. Not long after being back in Springfield, she joined the local chapter of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Founded in 1909, the NAACP established branches across the country in an effort to challenge segregation and discrimination against all people of color. The Springfield chapter was established in 1918 and quickly got to work addressing local issues connected to segregation, voting rights, and racial violence. Two of the earliest leaders of the Springfield NAACP were Dr. James B. Clark and his wife, Pearl, who operated a medical clinic and pharmacy that was, quote, a vital hub of activity for the Black community, unquote. The Clarks also served as key conduits of information between the local NAACP branch and the national headquarters in New York. In addition to her activism within the NAACP, Voda also worked with a group of local women organized by Miss McKay Miller to bring attention and interest to the issue of suffrage. They went from house to house in Springfield and neighboring communities, passing out pamphlets and speaking to residents about voting rights. Voda cast her first vote in November 1920 in an experience she later described as, quote, the greatest honor I could ever hope to attain because I felt I was part of the government, unquote. She also noted that despite racial issues within the community of Springfield, she never felt that her right to vote was denied due to disenfranchisement tactics. While advocating on behalf of civil rights and suffrage, Voda taught briefly at Cave Springs before accepting a position at Springfield's Lincoln High School. Due to requirements that female teachers resign their jobs if they had children, she did not return to teaching until her daughter was 10 at the end of the 1920s. She taught in nearby Mount Vernon for two years before receiving a job offer as a supervisor at the Recorder of Deeds office in Washington, DC. She worked there for a little over five years, splitting her time between the nation's capital and Springfield, where her family, including her husband, Ernest, and her daughter, Venona, still resided. At the start of World War II, she returned to Southwest Missouri and stayed there for the remainder of her life. Once back in Springfield, Voda returned her attention to civic affairs, particularly through the League of Women Voters. While there has been some confusion about when she officially joined the group, most members during her life noted her appearance at early organizational meetings around 1952. Even after reaching her 80th birthday, fellow League of Women Voters members remarked that Voda quote, actively attends meetings and takes her turn on resource study committees and is hostess, unquote. After her husband passed away in 1976, she continued to serve in the League of Women Voters and the NAACP, as well as local clubs, including the American Legion Auxiliary, the American Association of Retired Persons, and the St. Agnes Council of Catholic Women. At the end of her life, the civil rights activist and suffragist was still quite vocal on the important issues of the day. While she felt that education and study was needed in regards to the Equal Rights Amendment, she also noted that it was time that such
2: legislation became law. I think women have been pushed back on far enough, don't you think so? I think I think it's time for them to stand up and speak up for the things that they know that they deserve. That's the way I feel about it. I guess I'm a radical. I don't know. I don't mean to.
0: (laughs) Voda B. Hardy Curtis passed away on March 1st, 1990. Her funeral took place at St. Agnes Cathedral in Springfield, the church she had been affiliated with since the 1920s. She was buried alongside her husband in St. Mary's Cemetery.
2: That's right, a long way to go. I hope we make it. <laughs> yeah, it, may not, it may not happen during my lifetime, but maybe something will happen.
1: Now that we know a little more about the life of Voda Curtis, I want to invite Sydney Smith, Cassie Drought, and Kiwi Dahl to talk about their thoughts regarding their research into Voda Curtis's life. Let's begin with Sydney.
3: The one thing that I found the most interesting was how much she focused on the history of her family. So you got to hear a lot about her grandparents and her great grandparents and how she became to be in Missouri, which I thought that was interesting. And then I also really enjoyed how she acted so nonchalant about her works in the suffrage movement. Like she focused more so again on her family versus the actual, I want to say like the actions that she pertained to the movement. And when the audio log did talk to her about that, She kind of just made it sound like, like, why wouldn't I be a part of that? Like, it's a no-brainer. And to have just that courage, especially being a woman of color, and then also just being a woman during that time, to have, like, the courage to do so, I think it says a lot, too, about what's going on right now with the Black Lives Matter movement. I guess in
4: researching Voda Curtis, she's one of the names where it's, like, maybe maybe she's not a national name or celebrity or anything but when you're looking at like her actions and her life and her family history it's kind of amazing how you can see just one person with so many so much going against them being a woman and a person of color like in the early 1900s when all this is going on and still managing to make so much of an impact in breaking all of the barriers that she came across and in getting involved in politics and really fighting for women's rights to vote. It's just, it kind of gives you inspiration to think if, if she was able to do this with all of that going against her and make a difference, then what, what can I do? How can I help? Because I think at the end of the day, that was the question that she was really asking herself, You know. What can I do? How can I help? How can I put others before myself and contribute to the common good?
0: Working with Voda Curtis Interview was really interesting, especially on a personal level as a young woman of voting age. Her involvement with women's suffrage groups was really inspiring, as well as the fact that she worked in the political sphere during a time when many women didn't work at all. She stayed devoted to the political organizations even when she moved back to Springfield, balancing being a mother, wife, and an activist. Her joy at voting for the first time in 1920 really brings to light how important and hard fought the woman's right to participate in American politics was and still is.
1: My thanks to Sydney Smith, Cassie Drout, and Keeley Dahl for their thoughts there on Vota Curtis. Also a big thank you to uh, AJ Medlock and the past and present staff of the St. Louis Research Center of the State Historical Society of Missouri for preserving and digitizing Vodacurtis' oral history.
0: Thank you for listening to the Our Missouri podcast. If you would like to learn more about the podcast, including past and future episodes, information about guests and upcoming events, please visit our website at shsmo.org forward slash Our-Missouri.